We're going to look at the tribulation at end times. And, and you know what? Jesus is coming back soon. Amen? It's rapture season. You know, the Bible says we don't know the day or the hour, but we can know the season. I'm telling you, it's rapture season. Now, it could be, you know, a year, it could be two years, it could be five, it could be tomorrow. But the good news is that we need to live every day like He's come back tomorrow. But let's pray as we go to God's Word. Lord, we love You, we praise You, we worship and honor Your name. And I thank You, Lord, that You are here in our midst tonight. And I pray, Lord, that You would be glorified and Your name would be lifted up, Lord. I pray that each one of us would just receive from Your Word what You desire to minister to each heart that's here. I pray also, Lord, that man would decrease, that your spirit would increase. And we thank and we praise you, Lord, that though the tribulation is coming, that, Lord, you're going to snatch your church away first. But, Father, we still need to understand and know the times and be prepared, Lord, to share with others the hope that lies within us. We thank and we praise you in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Now, last week, the chapter ended with the Lord speaking to to his apostles about the widow's might and about the, those who had come in long robes and those who came with religion, seeking, after, seeking to be the praise of men. You know, the Pharisees wore the long robes and the Pharisees prayed the prayers. And then the widow came in with the two mites and she gave. And the Lord said, she's given all that more than anybody else here has given. Because she didn't give out of her abundance, she gave out of her lack. She gave her heart to God. She gave everything she had to the Lord. And you know what? Christianity is not a religion. You know, in the sense of what the world thinks of. It's not a bunch of rituals and rules, but it truly is a relationship with the creator of the universe. Amen? And you know what? We need to, as Christians, a lot of times we're just sleepwalking through our, our relationship with God. We're on cruise control till we get to heaven. But I tell you what, tonight ought to bring a sense of urgency in every one of our hearts. As we pick up in Mark 13, and we're going to take a look at the tribulation. Now it says there, then, as he went out of the temple. Now the Lord had been in the temple. And he had been, again, he had seen the, the widow with the widow's might, and he had seen the way that the religious men had acted. But I want to say this, he leaves the temple, it's Tuesday afternoon, he's going to be crucified on Friday morning. So this is just a couple of days before Jesus' death. As I explained to you in the past, he would stay in Bethany each night. He wouldn't even stay in Jerusalem. Each night when he would get done ministering, he'd go back to Bethany, I believe staying at the house of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. But he would go back to a place where he, could, where he felt welcome. He wasn't welcomed in Jerusalem. Incredible. But the, the King of kings and Lord of lords. But he would go back out to Bethany. But between what happens at the end of chapter 12 and what happens at the beginning of chapter 13, the Lord gave a scathing rebuke to all of the Pharisees. And if you want to, I'm not going to look at it right now because of the sake of time. But what he did was he went after them. And, and it's, how many of you ever heard of the seven woes? Okay. It's Matthew 23, the last half. And he says to them, Woe to you, scribes, hypocrites, Pharisees. He says, Woe to you, and warnings unto you because you guys don't get it. You know, the Lord had rebuked them because they came to him seeking to stumble the Lord. They tried to seek him with questions over taxes, with questions over the resurrection, with questions over which were the greatest commandments. He had told them that they sought the praise of man instead of the praise of God, that they wore the long robes, that they were seeking that men would look to them and see how wonderful they really were. But the reality was that they had turned their back on the true and living God and they didn't get it at all. And when he went in, he said, you know what, you guys, he, he, he said, you, you strain at a gnat and yet you swallow a camel. And what's interesting about that is the, the smallest of all the unclean animals in Jewish tradition was a gnat. And he said, you know, you guys will strain at a gnat. You guys will take a strainer out when you pour your drinks, afraid that a gnat might follow through and you drink it and then you'd be condemned. But at the same time, you'll swallow a camel. A camel was the largest of all the unclean animals. The Lord was rebuking them and saying, you know, you guys keep the religious details, but you don't know the Savior of the universe. 
and they kept the most minute tradition, but they didn't know Almighty God. And when he said, woe unto you, he also called them whited sepulchers or whitewashed tombs. You know, he said on the outside, you guys look really good, but on the inside, you're dead men's bones. You know, a lot of people put on the outward, you know, Christianity, right? They, they make it look like they know God and they, you know, they try to keep all the rules, but it's not about keeping rules. It's about having a relationship. There's a difference between churchianity and Christianity, right? Churchianity is the hope so. Keep the rules and have everybody think I'm wonderful. You know, do things for the praise of men. And that's exactly what the Pharisees had done. The Lord rebuked them and said, you guys are a brood of vipers. You're a bunch of snakes. You guys look good on the outside, but inwardly there's nothing inside of you but death. And then later he accused them even of murdering the prophets. You know, these guys were so pious and he said, you know, your actions, you guys killed the prophets. The way that you guys live your lives, if you had lived back then, you would have killed the prophets. He also said to them that, you know what, you guys are sons of death, and you go out and you make yourself proselytes, people to follow after you, and you lead them straight to hell. Now, the Lord's pretty direct, amen? I mean, he's saying to the religious leaders of the day, you go out and do everything you can to win one proselyte, and then you keep him from the kingdom of God, and you lead him directly into hell. Man, that's pretty direct. You know, and a lot of times, you know, we need to love. The Bible says the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love. When they asked Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? He said, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself, right? Amen? And that's the key to, to us as being Christians. But at the same time, love doesn't mean hypocrisy. Because truth without love is brutality, but love without truth is hypocrisy. That's why we must always speak the truth in love. Amen? We're to point people to Jesus Christ and Him crucified. We're to speak God's truth without compromise. And you know what else? He, he referred to his own home as his father's house. So he leaves the temple and he goes up back to Bethany. And along his way there, he's going to stop at the Mount of Olives. And that's the place where he would, trans, he would go by each day. And he's going to give the Olivet Discourse as we're going to see tonight. I think it's also interesting, those of you who love the Old Testament like I do, in Ezekiel 11.23, it described... Ezekiel's vision of the Shekinah glory of God departing from the temple and then standing upon the Mount of Olives. It's in Ezekiel 11, verse 23. And that's exactly what Jesus did in this chapter. He departs from the temple and then he stands upon the Mount of Olives and he begins to teach. Nothing's in the Bible by chance. Everything's in the Word for a reason. Amen? And so just remember, the Jews will say again and again, you know, they don't get it. They don't understand. They don't have an understanding of who God really is. But the Lord continues to teach them and point them to the truth. It's not a a formula of words we speak. They thought if they just gave the right words, that somehow they would earn God's favor. But the reality was, all they were consumed with and concerned about was themselves being blessed and others looking at them uh, with high esteem. So let's continue. He says, So he went out of the temple. One of his disciples said to him, Teacher, see what manner of stones and what buildings are here. The last thing that the Lord said in Matthew 23, the port where he said, woe unto you scribes, he said that this temple, this place will be desolate. This place is going to be undone. There's going to be nothing left of this place. There's going to not be one stone standing upon another one. They're going to be wiped out completely. And so the apostles, it cracks me up, they want to educate the Lord. So they call Jesus aside. Look what it says in verse 1 there. They said, teacher, see what manner of stones and what buildings are here. Uh, You know, remember you said all the now, I know you didn't mean this big, huge building over here, Lord, right? I mean, you're, maybe you're talking about something out of town, but you know, look at the size of this building, right? Lord, I mean, these stones are 40 feet by 20 feet, weighing several tons. They're overlaid in gold, and everybody looks from far away, and you can see the reflection of the sun against the gold. These are awesome buildings, Lord. 
You know, the Jews viewed them as like the seventh wonder of the world or something. They thought this was the most wonderful thing. And the Lord says to them, not one of these stones will stand upon another one. They're all coming down. Well, Lord, can we show you through the building? Because maybe you don't understand fully, right? I mean, you know, sometimes we read the Word of God and we see the commandments for our own life and we try to educate God. Well, but Lord, you don't quite understand my life. Well, Lord, that's good for everybody else, but you know, you don't understand for me. I, as a youth pastor for 15 years, I used to have kids tell me, well, yeah, the Bible does say do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers, but this one's special. I prayed about it, and God said it's okay for me to date him. You know, if somebody told you it wasn't God, amen? Because God will never contradict his word. And they, they try to take the Lord and try to educate God and make him understand. Well, you don't understand, Lord. This is a pretty sweet building. And, you know, if this building's as nice as it is, then something special must be going on here. And you know what? And this building might be as, as not as nice as we'd like it to be, but something special can go on here, amen? Because the Holy Spirit is here. Because the creator of the universe is in the room. Isn't that awesome? And when you think about that, that's all that matters. Because the Lord is here. We don't have the steeple, we don't have all the other stuff, but that's okay. And so the temple at the time of his ministry was this impressive place, and they took the Lord through it, trying again to educate God. But let me tell you something. The Lord is never impressed by monuments. He doesn't care about how beautiful the building is. I think a lot of times the Lord is grieved by it. You know, I mean, we'll spend, I've seen, you know, there are churches that'll spend millions of dollars making their building look nice, and they won't spend 50 cents on missions. You know, they won't buy anybody a Bible. You know, they won't minister to the person across the street that's going without food. You know what? The Lord loves us to minister and lay down our lives for others. Where was Jesus when he ministered? He was talking to the prostitutes and talking to the homeless people and ministering to the thieves and the tax collectors, because that's our God, amen? And so as soon as we start putting our emphasis in buildings, we make a mistake. I'll never forget one time I'm standing on a street corner in Russia, 1991. The, the uh, wall had just come down. And I was standing on a street corner with a bunch of youth group kids. And we did this drama that really clearly showed how you can know the Lord. And it was a picture of the salvation. showed the crucifixion. And as soon as we were done, this man came up to me and said, Don't you know that Russia loves God? Let me come show you our church building. And so he took me into the building. And guess what? The building was pretty awesome, but there were no people in there. And I said, when does anybody teach the Bible? Well, we don't teach the Bible. So there's no Bible, but you got a nice building, right? But that's not what it's about. And they took the Lord through this splendid monument, and God doesn't care about monuments. The church is not the building, it's the people. You are the church, wherever you are, because you're the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so it says there in verse 2, And Jesus answered and said to them, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. He says, As awesome as you think this is, it's temporary. As awesome as we think that the things of this world are, and as important as we think the things of this world are, they're temporary. It's all going to burn. It's wood, hay, and stubble. That's what the Bible says. And we get so focused on, on our house and so focused on our possessions that we miss out on God. And the Lord wants us to be focused on the things that will outlive this life. They viewed this as a symbol of God's glory, and he said, it's got nothing to do with my glory. This was later fulfilled in A.D. 70, as Titus, the Roman general, came in, and he burnt the temple to the ground. And because there was so much gold, the gold would melt in between the stones. And when the gold melted in between the stones, then the, the soldiers came in and ripped these stones down so they'd get to the gold within the stones. And guess what happened? Not one stone was left on top of another. But you know what? Our foundation isn't the stone in the temple. It's the rock that is Jesus Christ. Amen? That's where our foundation is. That's where we put our hope, and we don't put it in the building that we have. Verse 3. Now, this is the beginning of the Olivet Discord. Now, he sat on the mountain of, the, of olives opposite the temple, and Peter, James, and John, and Andrew asked him privately. These are the first four apostles that Jesus called. 
and they came to the Lord, and they're, and they're going to ask him a question. Now, wait a minute. You mean the temple's going to be laid to the ground? Tell us how that's going to happen. So they come to the Lord with two questions. And here's what they ask, verse 4. Tell us when these things will be, and what will be the sign when all these things will be fulfilled? When will the temple be destroyed, and what sign shall indicate your coming in the close of the age we're living in now? Now, most of you probably are, I'm sure, aware of the fact that right now we live in what is called the church age, okay, according to doctrine, right? We're in the church age. But there's a day coming when Jesus Christ will come back and He will rapture the church. And when He does, it will no longer be the church age because the church won't be here. And there's going to be a, a, the great tribulation that was prophesied in the book of Daniel. It's prophesied in Ezekiel. It's prophesied throughout the Bible. It's in Matthew 24 and it's here in Mark 13. Now the tribulation time, the Bible says that God has not appointed us to wrath. So guess what? This is my doctrinal opinion, all right? The church will not be here. And I think tonight we'll see clearly why we will not be here. But he's going to point to them to the end times and say, these are the things that you're going to see in the end times. These are, now, we cannot know the day or the hour. I will never predict the day or the hour because I don't know. The Bible says it's when people cry out peace and safety, right? When people think that life is good and everything is great, then that's when the Lord's going to come like a thief in the night. But we can know that the time is near. And we need to have a sense of urgency. So let's take a look at it says here in verse 5. And Jesus said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you. They're saying, When will this be? He says, Take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and will deceive many. So in the times of the end, there will be people coming, and there will be many false Christs. There will be people coming, proclaiming themselves to be the Messiah, proclaiming themselves to be the way, and the truth, and the life. And we're going to see here that in our own time, that we see a lot of that happening. Christians must first be ready for false messiahs. Dangers of, danger of being misled is mentioned throughout the Bible. And we need to make sure that we don't listen to what men say, but we're like the Bereans. The Bible says, study to show yourself approved. A workman who need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Don't trust what Pastor Dave says. What does the Bible say? Amen? Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So we need to be in the Bible. And if we start listening to men, men can lead us astray. You know, men are made of flesh. And men, like the Pharisees, were leading people astray. He says, you go out and you get a proselyte, and you lead them right into hell. And there are people out there every day that are teaching things that are not true. They're teaching the opinions of men. That's why we need to study and know the Bible for ourselves. Let me share something with you. Did you know that before Jesus came, that even though there were many messianic promises, no one ever proclaimed to be the Messiah before Jesus. Nobody. But after he came, hundreds, if not thousands of people, have proclaimed to be the Messiah. And you know why that's true? Because you can't copy something that never existed. Amen? You know, there are no counterfeit $200 bills because there's no such thing as a $200 bill. But as soon as Jesus came, and as soon as the real Messiah came, a bunch of people came wanting to be the Messiah. But there is no other Messiah but Jesus Christ. Amen? In AD 132, a man named Simon Barcoba came on the scene claiming to be the Christ. He said, follow me and we will overthrow Rome. After promising that no one who followed him would die, he fought his one and only war against the Romans and 580,000 Jews died with him trying to overthrow Rome. Why? Because the Jews were looking for a Messiah to give them stuff. They wanted a Messiah that would put them in charge over the Romans. And you know what? A lot of people want a God today that will give them stuff. Amen? 
I want a God of, I want a holy Santa Claus in the sky so I can tell him I want a Mercedes, and if I have enough faith, it'll be in my driveway, right? I mean, just turn on Christian TV sometimes. And you know what? That's not, that's not what it's all about as Christians. Jesus had no place to lay his head, amen? Now, God's going to provide for our needs, but he won't necessarily provide for our wants. About 15 years, for about 15 years, there was a man named Benjamin Cream who ran a full-page ad in the New York Times, L.A. Times, the San Francisco Chronicle, claiming that the Messiah had come and was living in Liverpool, England. Sad part is, there must have been somebody believing it, because the guy kept running the ad. The Maharaji. How many of you ever heard of the Maharaji before? Anybody ever heard of him? This guy was a 16-year-old self-proclaimed Messiah. Do you know when he was in the Astrodome some years back, 80,000 people showed up to listen to the Maharaji. He'd probably be real popular in Santa Cruz, right? Right? And so people are looking at the Maharaji, and you know what? He was the self-proclaimed, I'm the Messiah. I'm the answer. I'm what you're looking for. I'm the hope that you need. And you know what is amazing to me? After he started eating meat and bought a Learjet and then married a 38-year-old convert, his mom got so mad at him, she told him he couldn't be the Messiah anymore. <laughs> she kicked him off the throne and gave it to his brother. Okay? Now what happens is people were following this guy. Don't follow a man, follow God. Amen? And we, know, we can know God in an intimate way through the Word. What about Jim Jones? He led hundreds into mass suicide down in Guyana. What about David Koresh? He claimed to be Jesus, and he died in a fire with all of his followers. What about Shirley MacLaine? says, I'm God. Everyone is God. You're all God. Let me tell you something. None of you is God. Amen? You're not God. If, if, that, if that hurts your feelings, sorry. But you're not God. Amen? There's only one God, and you're not Him. But here's the good news, that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Amen? And Almighty God does dwell within us, but we are not God. You know what? The New Age Church that meets in this building, how do we keep from being deceived by these counterfeit or false messiahs? How do we not fall into the trap? By knowing the Word of God. I've used this analogy with you before. I don't know if it's still true, but I know at one time when they hired tellers, they used to give them money and have them inspect money. And the, re- Excuse me. and the reason they did that was they didn't give them counterfeit bills. They gave them real money, and they got to know the real money so well, the feel of it, the look of it, the texture of it, that when somebody would hand them a fake bill, they'd go, oh, that's not right. That's not real. Because they knew the real thing so well that the counterfeit was immediate. And you know what? We need to not, I don't need to go study all the cult's books. I just need to study this one. Amen? Because if you know the Word of God, when someone gives you a false truth, you're going to say, oh, that's not true. Because the Bible says this, and that goes contrary to the Word of God. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. You won't be de- uh, deceived by false messiahs if you know the truth. Second of all, we need to be ready for both human and natural disasters. Look at verse 7, end times. But when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be troubled, for such things must happen, but the end is not yet. Along with the increase in false prophets and messiahs, there will also be an increase in wars and rumors of wars. According to a recently reported uh, published book entitled The War Atlas, now it's about six years old, this book that I looked at, but since World War II, there has not been a single day of peace on earth. Not one day. There are 35 million, at least at this time, probably more than that now, active soldiers. There are 570 million reserves all over the world. 50%, at least six years ago, of all scientists were working on weapons, right? Do we live in a time of war? Yes, we do. So in the end times, there will be false prophets. There will be also be time, there'll be time of war. The USS Pennsylvania, which is one of our submarines, 
costs $3 billion. It carries 24 missiles, each with 15 separate warheads, and this one ship has 40 times more killing power than all the weapons combined in World War II. That one. That one submarine. We're making 90, at the time again, six years ago, it's maybe less now, we were making 90 nuclear warheads per day. There's 40 tons of TNT for every person on earth. We're armed to the teeth. Wars and rumors of wars. Amen? So when you see those things, it says, know that the coming of the Son of Man is soon, right? Amen? Know that our time is near. We live in times of false messiahs. We live in times of, of war. An atomic scientist was asked, which weapons would be used in World War III? And he said, I'm not sure exactly which weapons will be used or detonated in World War III, but I'll tell you which weapons will be used in World War IV. Rocks, because that's all that's going to be left after World War III. And you know what? Here's the reality, you guys. Here's the good news. I believe World War III happens after we're gone. Because, again, you look at the Bible, and, and we're going to look at some of it tonight, time willing. And I do not believe, again, that, that we have anything to fear. But, and we don't have anything to fear because we walk with God. But no matter what, we are Christians. As Christians have nothing to fear. Don't be consumed with war or rumors of wars. Just realize that God is faithful and God is in control. Amen? No matter what happens, you can't vote God out of office. Amen? He's still going to be God no matter what happens. He's still sovereign. When the World Trade Center was hit, guess what? We ain't seen nothing yet. Amen? And time willing, we'll look at a little more of it tonight. Verse 8. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be earthquakes in various places, and there will be famines and troubles. These are the beginnings of sorrows. So in the end times, the other thing will happen, there will be famine. People will be starving to death. Do you know, then then a four-year period, 40 million people died in Ethiopia and the northern Sahara region alone of starvation. People are dying, there's famine. It also talks about here, and in the Matthews context, it uses the word pestilence. And a pestilence is an unusual disease. Well, in my lifetime, we've seen several unusual diseases. AIDS is one example that has come into existence where they have no cure and people are dying. In the end times, there will be wars and rumors of wars. There will be false messiahs. There will be earthquakes. Well, man, we live in California. I don't even have to comment on that, right? I mean, and there will be more and more earthquakes, and we see them all the time. Earthquakes are coming. But again, remember, it doesn't matter because God's in control. Praise the Lord for that, right? When the earth's shaken, God's not. God's still faithful. And so the pestilences. And then it says there, there will be famine and troubles. These are the beginning of sorrows. Now these sorrows means birth pangs. That's the word. And just like with birth. Now I have four children. And I was in there with the delivery of all four of my kids. And the contractions come. And then they relax. And the next one comes. And it's even harder. And then there's relax. And then the next one comes. It's even harder. And that's the word here. It's the beginning of sorrows. That in the beginning of it. It's going to be this push, and then it'll seem like it's all okay. Then the next time it comes through a little bit harder, and it's all going to look like it's okay. That's the word that's here. This is the beginning of sorrows. When we see these things coming, it's only the beginning of what will come next. Verse 9, But watch out for yourselves, for they will deliver you up to councils. So not only do we need to, to realize as Christians that there will be war, Realize as Christians that, we will, that there will be famine. Realize as Christians there will be false messiahs. But realize also, as believers in Christ, there will be persecution in the end times. The closer we get to Christ coming back, the more those who make a stand for God will be persecuted for their faith. Now, we are personally spoiled in this country. Amen? Praise the Lord for the United States of America. Amen? Because, you know, with our freedoms, there's some bad things that come. But the good news is, we can share our faith pretty openly. We think we're persecuted if someone tells us to be quiet. 
But there are people that live in countries where if they talk about Jesus Christ, they can be put to death. You live in a Muslim country, and you talk about Jesus Christ, you're signing your death warrant. And guess what? The Bible says in the end times that people will be persecuted for making a stand for the cause of Jesus Christ. Now that's always been true, but in the end times, it'll be even more prevalent. And you know what? We can never count on the fact that in the United States that we may not lose that freedom. We've already lost it to a certain extent. You know, I was a youth pastor, and I've told you many times that I've had kids be told, no, you can't have a Bible club here. You're not allowed to have a Bible club on campus. You can't have it. You know, you can have a homosexual club, but you can't have a Bible club, right? I mean, you can have, you know, a New Age club, but you can't have a Bible club. You can even have a satanic club, but you can't have a Bible club. And I would tell the kids, have a Bible club anyway, Amen. Just meet out, in the, meet out in the quad with your friends. I'll show up. I'll teach you the Bible. I mean, I would love for them to come and kick me off campus for preaching Jesus Christ. Amen? And you know what? Well, we, they won't let us pray. Then pray anyway. Amen? So there is some restriction coming to the church today where we're not, they tell us, you know, dial it down. Don't talk about God so much. You know what? When this time has come and passed, only what we've done for Christ will last and nothing else will matter. And it says here, Watch for yourselves. They will deliver you up to councils, and you will be beaten in the synagogues. You will be brought before rulers and kings for my namesake for a testimony to them. You know what? When we are persecuted, it's a testimony to the cause of Christ. I've said this before. When you squeeze a lemon, what do you get? Lemonade. When you squeeze a Christian, what should you get? Christ-likeness. Amen? You know, it's real easy to be the Christian on the cruise ship to heaven, but how are we when things get difficult? How are we when things aren't perfect, when we get laid off at work? Do we blow a head gasket? Are we yelling and screaming? Or do we still have faith and hope and trust in Jesus Christ? And that's exactly what he's saying. He's saying, look, it's going to be for my testimony that you're going to be persecuted. Let me ask you something. Cassie Bernal, how many of you know who that is? Right? The girl shot at Columbine. Remember her? She was persecuted. Was that for the glory of God? God used that to reach many people with the cause of Christ. And there will be times when you'll face persecution, but again, remember that God is in control. Paul himself said this, The things which have happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel, so it has become evident to all, even the palace guards, that my chains are in Jesus Christ. The word there to deliver you up is a technical word, handing over a prisoner to, into punishment. And so you know what? Paul said, you know what? The best thing ever happened to me was I was put in prison. Because in prison, guess what? I have an opportunity for the gospel. They would chain him up to two or three different shifts of guards, one on each hand. And you know what? I guarantee it. Can you imagine? Clank, clank. You know what? You need Jesus, right? I mean, eight hours, 12 hours. The guy's chained to him. You know what? You need to be born again. You need, to, you need to come to know Jesus Christ. He suffered and died. You might have eternal life. He says, even the palace guard knew that my chains were not in men. My chains were in God. Amen? And so when you go through difficulty, people are going to be watching. You know, you walk around talking about your love for God. They're really watching you when things get difficult. How are you going to react? Be Christ-like. Be an example. Point people to the Lord. You know, a, friend of, a real close friend of mine, many of you know him, Rick Franks, one of the most godly men I know, and I, he, if I said that about him, he'd get upset. But, you know, his daughters have cystic fibrosis. And do you know that God has used that in such a mighty way to touch even many of the lives of the people in this room? Because you know what? He just keeps his love in God and seeking after God and pointing people to Christ. And you know what? He says, you know what? Praise the Lord for their cystic fibrosis because without it, I would not. He says, I would not know God. And God uses difficulties in our life because people look and go, both his daughters basically have been given a disease that is incurable and he just still loves God. That should be the example that we are. Amen? 
It's easy to be on the cruise ship, but can we walk with God when things are difficult? Verse 10. And the gospel must first be preached to all nations. So before the Lord returns, he says, the gospel must first be preached to all nations. Now the good news is that that's a fulfillment of Matthew 28, 19, which is the Great Commission, which says, Go therefore into all the world and preach the gospel, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. The fulfillment of the Great Commission is letting the whole world know about God. But despite all the attempts, and, here's the, and this, this is exciting to me, despite all the attempts of the enemy to defeat the gospel with false teachers, I think that's the number one way he distorts the gospel right there. You know, Satan doesn't show up on someone's doorstep and go, I, I'm, and I'm Satan, pitchfork in his hand, horns. I'm Satan, come follow me. I mean, no one's probably, not very many people are following that guy, right? But what, what, what he will do is show up at your doorstep and say, Hi, I'm from the Church of Jesus Christ of the Latter-day Saints. That's the tool of the enemy. They believe that Jesus Christ is the brother of Satan. They believe they will be God of their own planet. With all that false deception, you know, and again, the Jehovah's Witnesses and other, they, they will point with a grain of truth in there, but they're leading people away from Almighty God. And that's why we need to know what the Bible says. And you know what? So with the false messiahs, with the, the wars, the persecution of the saints, all the natural disasters, he cannot stop the gospel. Amen? He can't. That's one thing Satan, he just can't. Because you know what? God's word is going to go forth. And every, every single person will have an opportunity to know God. I believe, personally, there are what are called unreached people groups, but I believe that this has already been fulfilled and that every nation on the planet has heard, to varying degrees, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that means the Lord can come back tomorrow. Now, do we need to still reach out to even more people? The answer is yes. Do we still need to have a burden for missions? You know, and if there were an 11th commandment, I'm not trying to be blasphemous, but if there were, it might be, thou shalt go on a short-term missions trip. Okay? I want to encourage you guys, go out there and see people on the other side of the world, or see people that live in difficulty, and be, have a chance to share with them the love of God. It's an awesome thing. And you realize that the family of God is very, very small indeed. So how do we hasten the return of Jesus Christ? How, do, how, do we, how does that get closer? We share our faith. Amen? Because he said when it's preached to all nations, that's when he's coming back, right? So that's the good news. So the, it will be preached to every man and creature. Verse 11. But when they arrest you and deliver you up, do not worry beforehand or premeditate what you will speak. But whatever is given to you that hour, speak. That, would, that for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. Now how many of you have experienced this? where you're sharing your faith with somebody and you know that God just took over. I mean, you know what I'm talking about, right? You start sharing with somebody and God bringing verses to mind and stuff, and you're like, man, this is totally God, right? Isn't that the most awesome thing? Don't you love that? You just want to stay there, right? And you know what? Each one of you in this room, along with being called to share your faith, when you are faithful to whatever God's called you to do, that's what it's like. I can honestly tell you, it may not appear this way to you, but I can honestly tell you that when I teach the Bible, if I've been faithful to study and pray and seek after God, I feel like I'm along for the ride. I feel like the Holy Spirit speaking, and I'm just over here along for the ride. And you know what? He says, when you stand before them, don't worry about what you're going to say because you don't speak, the Holy Spirit does. Because you know what? If I got up here and gave you Dave's opinions, it would be worthless. Amen? If I'm teaching, it's no bueno, it's time to go home, right? I mean, you can go to Toastmasters or something, right? But if you want to hear the truth of God's Word, then the Holy Spirit's got to be the teacher. And the Holy Spirit's not the author of confusion. He's going to teach us the truth. And praise the Lord for that. 
God's not looking for ability, but availability. Not for all-knowing, self-righteous Pharisees, but humble and broken disciples with the heart of the widow of two mites. That's what He's looking for. Someone who'll come in and just say, here's all I have, it's all yours. And it's not about the money, it's about our heart. Amen? The eyes of the Lord search to and fro among the whole earth, seeking those who He can show Himself strong and account. Verse 12, Now brother will betray brother to death, and father his child, and children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. You know, again, this will have its ultimate fruition during the tribulation. Because during the tribulation, those who do not take the mark of the beast, if their family comes and says, he didn't take the mark of the beast, they're going to put him to death. But you know what? That happens today. You know, in Hindu and Muslim nations, family will go and say, you know what? They've converted to Christianity. And that's a death sentence. There are family members that will kill their own family members because they've given their life to Jesus Christ. And you know what? You may not be facing death, but I know for a fact, in talking to many of you, that when you gave your life to the Lord, you had family members that wigged out on you. Right? People come over going, you did what? Oh no, we got, you know, we got to have an intervention and get you out of that, right? You know, people come into your house, you, you gave your life to Jesus, oh no, not like one of those cults, oh no. Right? And people think, there's something wrong with you. You mean you take the Bible literally? Oh no, we got to call grandma. We got to get him out of there. And the Bible says in the end times, when you make a stand for God, there's going to be people that think you're crazy. You know, I had a lady tell me one time in a bowling alley, What are you, one of those Jesus freaks? I thought about it for a second. I go, Yeah! That's exactly what I am. Who better to be a freak for than Jesus Christ? Amen? I love that DC Talk song. What will people think when they hear that I'm a Jesus freak? I would hope that I would be identified more with Jesus Christ than anything else in life. I want to be a disciple of His. I want to be a follower of His. When people thought about Paul, they thought about Jesus. Amen? And my hope would be when they think about me, they would think about Jesus. When they think about you, they would think about Jesus. Amen? Because you would just be so in love with Him, and and out of you would flow torrents of rushing living water would flow out of you. And again, I know that you get attacked sometimes by family members. But just know this. God's using you. Look at verse 13. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. You know that people don't hate Buddha. Have you ever noticed that? Nobody ever says, oh, Buddha. They don't do that. Right? They'll say Jesus, right? They're not praying or worshiping. I had a guy who used to say it all behind, down in Southern California. The guy said behind me, we take the Lord's name in vain all the time. And every time he did it, I go, bro, your prayer life's picking up. That's good to hear. Because I, I know you're not taking God's name in vain. But he said, Gee, oh, oh man, well, praise the Lord. Hey, let me come over and join you for some prayer. But, you know, he would, but he would never say, oh, Buddha. Hare Krishna. I mean, nobody ever does that. But they take the name of the Lord in vain all the time. And they have a hatred for the things of God. They hate God. And they're going to hate you if you're identified with God. And if you're going to hate me for being identified with Jesus Christ, then praise the Lord. Amen? But I'm going to love you back. We don't overcome evil with evil, overcome evil with good. And look what it says here. I want you to see this. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. Now here's the good news. A lot of people think, well, that means I've got to do all this good work and I've got to make sure I keep doing all this good stuff so when the Lord comes back, I'll be found worthy. Let me tell you something. Perseverance does not produce salvation. Salvation produces perseverance. Amen? When you've given your life to the Lord, you can't help but serve Him. You know, telling, telling someone not to use the gift God's given them is like telling them not to breathe. If someone came in and said, you can never talk about Jesus again, or you're going, they better just get the cuffs out. Because I'm in trouble, right? Because it's like, tell me not to breathe. And whatever gift God's given you, it should be the same way. Amen? And you know what? 
You will endure to the end. Now people will say, wait a minute, Pastor Dave, what about people who claim to know God and then after a while they just walk away and they even deny that God's real, but I saw them walking that aisle and praying that prayer and you know, got the get out of hell free card, put it in their wallet, right? You know, I prayed that prayer with Billy Graham or whatever. And then years later, they're just denying God completely. How is that possible? You know, one example comes to mind is Bob Dylan. How many of you guys remember Bob Dylan for a while there was, I'm a Christian now, right? Got to serve somebody, right? That song. <laughs> and, and he sang these songs about you got to serve God, you know, and he sang the song, I've been saved by the blood of the Lamb, right? And he had all these songs. And then a few years later, he goes, oh, never mind, I didn't mean it. Now, here's what I would tell you about him. He never knew God. You cannot be adopted into God's family and then leave. It doesn't work that way. If you've truly been born again, you will persevere. Perseverance doesn't prove you're born again. Being born again causes you to persevere. There was another man that I knew that was an elder in my dad's church who came in one day and said, you know what, I don't believe in God anymore. I'm a homosexual now and I just don't believe in God. That guy was never saved. He can go to Bible college, he can do all these things, but the reality is that if you're a new creation in Christ, you don't ever go back to being the dead guy you used to be. Amen? Do you still sin? Yeah. But you're convicted by sin. That's the difference. When you've been a new creation in Christ, when you sin, you're grieved. Before you knew God, you sinned and it was no big deal. You ran to it as a Christian, you flee from it. I was going to read this to you, but in John 20, 10, verses 28 and 29, it basically says, the Lord says that nobody can snatch you out of my hand. Once you're adopted into His family, there you are. Isn't it good to know you're in the hand of Almighty God? Is there any better place to be than that? And no one can ever snatch you out of His hand. Osama bin Laden cannot snatch you out of the hand of God. Amen? They, they drop a nuclear bomb on my house. I'm in the presence of Almighty God. And there's nothing the world can do to me. God is in control. God is faithful. Praise the name of the Lord. Verse 14, so when you see the abomination of desolation spoken by Daniel the prophet, standing where it ought not, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Now from this point forward, he's talking to the elect. And let me tell you who the elect are in this context. The elect in this context are the Jews. All right. Now we see in the Bible that the, that the Christians are called the elect. We see Israel being called the elect. But in this context, it's the Jews. Let me tell you how I know that. Because it talks about when you see the abomination of desolation. When is that going to happen? Let me tell you about the abomination of desolation. The abomination of desolation, and, and let me just put it in context. The first thing that happens is the rapture of the church. If you want to look up the context, 1 Corinthians 15, verses 51 through 58, 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 13 through 18. The Lord comes and snatches the church away. It's not a visible thing. We don't see Him coming in the clouds. We disappear. Church is gone. You know how we know that? The Holy Spirit's gone. If the Holy Spirit's gone, guess what? We're not here because we're the temple of the Holy Spirit. Amen? So now we're in heaven, and it begins a seven-year tribulation period. The, a, lead, a leader will come out of the ten toes, which I believe is a ten-nation European economic community. A guy that talks about the little toe, little horn, you see this in Daniel chapter 9, who comes out, and he will be the Antichrist. And you, can you imagine, now look at the turmoil of a few planes hitting the World Trade Center and some of the things that have happened, anthrax and things like that. Imagine if, let's just be generous and say 10% of the people in the, United States, in the world are Christians. What happens if 10% of the population disappears in a single day? What happens if a whole bunch of planes, you know, Christian pilots, ah, right, what's going to happen to those planes? Those guys are gone, right? Cars are crashing, economy's a mess, right? What happens then? Do you think the stock market's a problem now? Now all that's going on, and guess who's going to step up in the midst of that? The Antichrist. He's going to have all the answers. The Bible says, and again, he's not going to have horns growing out of his head, I'm the Antichrist. That's not what's going to happen. 
this guy is going to be charismatic. This guy is going to be, this guy, everybody's going to go, wow. That guy's got the answers we've been looking for. And he's going to come forward and say, hey, here's the, the solution. They're all going to go, oh, yeah. And they're all going to basically start following this guy. The whole world will be following this guy. And so he is going to raise up. But then after three and a half years, he's going to make this treaty with Israel, and he's going to rebuild the temple, make sure it finishes being rebuilt. And the Jews are going to go, oh, man, this is the guy we've been waiting for. This is the Messiah we've been looking for. He's going to rebuild the temple. It's going to be great. Three and a half years into that time, he's going to move into Jerusalem, and he's going to set up his image in the temple, which is, which is what the abomination of desolation is. He's going to proclaim himself to be God. He's going to say, I'm God. I'm the God you've been waiting for. I'm here. And people are going to realize then and only then that they've been duped. The Antichrist will begin to control the world, force people to worship and obey Him. And this is when the great tribulation upon the earth, the second half of the tribulation, will begin. The nations will gather together at Armageddon to fight. But guess what they're going to see coming in the clouds during Armageddon? The creator of the universe. And guess what? When Jesus Christ comes back, it's not going to be a mystery. Amen? I, didn't, I don't know if I have time. I was going to share a little bit about some of the events. But the abomination of desolation, whenever you see it in the Bible, there's always a foreshadow before it happens quite often. You know, Passover, what was that pointing to? The resurrection and the cross, right? Put the blood and the mantle on the sides, right? And if you do, the angel of death will pass over. Picture of the cross, amen? What was Noah's Ark a picture of? Salvation, right? All those who enter into the ark, picture of Christ, will be saved of the judgment to come, the great flood, amen? What about uh, Sodom and Gomorrah? To me, that's a picture of the rapture, because what happened before God brought judgment down on Sodom and Gomorrah? He removed righteous Lot, remember? Amen? He brought righteous Lot out of there, and then judgment came. Well, the same thing happened here with, in Daniel, because what happened in 170 A.D. is there was a man who came along, and he slaughtered the Jews. He came in, and he went in, and he, and he proclaimed himself to be the Greek God. The guy's name was Antichus Epiphanes. Maybe you've ever heard of him. And he claimed himself to be the Greek god Zeus, and he wanted everybody to worship him. And when they didn't, he went into the temple, and he took and he, made, and he, and he slaughtered a pig, and he, and he took the blood, and he made the priest drink the blood of a pig. What do the Jews think is the most dirty and vile of all animals? A pig, right? And he went in, and he sprinkled the blood everywhere, and he destroyed and wiped out what was in the temple. Now, that's a picture of what's going to happen when the Antichrist comes. He's going to do exactly the same thing. He slaughtered the Jews, and the, and the Antichrist is going to do the same thing. Then he made them eat raw pork to finish everything off. Now, what are the prophetic event that is to come? It's the Antichrist sitting upon the throne, proclaiming himself to be God. Then and only then will they realize that they've been duped. Look what it says. And it says, And when let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. This is interesting to me. In Zechariah 13, 8 9, it declares that following the abomination of desolation, the Jews will indeed flee but only one-third will make it to safety. Two-thirds will face intense persecution and they'll either follow the Antichrist or be put to death. Violence and bloodshed will be unlike anything we've ever seen before. Most teach, Bible teachers believe that the remainder of the Jews will run to an ancient city called Petra. Have you ever heard of Petra before? This is awesome to me. You know, everybody thought it was a big fable, Petra, until 1812 when a Bible scholar went and he literally found this place called Petra. Petra is a city that's built in the side of a mountain. It's a narrow canyon. It's only 12 to 40 feet wide, it's, and it, its rock face is 200 to 1,000 feet high. And you know what? In 1812, this Bible scholar named Johannan Burkhart went and he found Petra. 
And when he found it, he found it by going to the Arabs and telling them, I want to make a sacrifice to Aaron and Petra. And they, they esteem Aaron highly. So they brought him to that place. And they took him to this rock city. And though it was been abandoned for many centuries, when he saw it, he was blown away. And what's also interesting is when he entered into Petra, there were two huge eagles' wings carved in a rock in the city's entrance. Revelation 12, 14 declares that a remnant of Israel will be saved by the wings of an eagle. And when he walked in, there's wings of an eagle carved in this mountain. A guy named W.E. Blackstone, another Bible teacher, was so convinced that Petra was the place that they would flee to when the abomination of desolation occurred, that he went there and he took these jars and he put earthen jars into the ground and he took Matthew 24, Revelation 12, and other scripture that pointed to Jesus Christ being the Messiah that would apply to what they were going through at that very moment and he put it into these earthen jars. He highlighted these Bibles, put them in there so when the Jews flee from there, the Bible's going to be waiting for them. Amen? Isn't that good? Now, so, you know what's awesome to me, though? What does Petra mean? Rock. rock. And who's the rock? Jesus. You know, they wouldn't have to run to Petra if they knew the rock. Amen? They wouldn't have to flee to the rock if they were standing upon the rock. What an awesome thing. And we're not going to get much further. Verse 15. Let him who's on the housetop not go down from the house, nor enter to take anything out of his house. When this comes, no time for messing around. Jews used to relax on the top of their house. That was like their patio. And he said, if you're on the rooftop, just run. Verse 16. And let him who is in the field not go back and get his clothes. You're in the field tending sheep or whatever. Don't go home to get your cloak. Get out of there. Woe to those who are pregnant and those who are nursing babies in those days. This time is going to be so intense. Woe unto those who are pregnant. Good news is, guys, if you know Jesus Christ, you won't be here. You'll be in the presence of Almighty God. We'll spend seven years with Him. Verse 18. And pray that you might, flight might not be in winter. You want the difficulties of the weather to slow you down. For in those days there will be tribulation such as not been seen since the beginning of the creation which God created until this time. And unless the Lord had shortened those days, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake whom He chose, He shortened the days. Let me tell you a little bit about what's going to happen during those days. And I'm going to end with this. Okay, Two minutes. During the, three, the last three and a half years of the tribulation, there will be several types of judgment that come. But these kinds of judgment will be judgment that come from God. Not from men, but from God. How many have ever heard of the trumpet judgments or the bowl judgments? Okay, Let me just, real quick, the seven trumpet judgments, you can find these in Revelation chapter 8. It says, unless the Lord shortened the days, nobody would be left. Let me show you why. The first trumpet, one-third of all vegetation and trees will be burned up with all the green grass, as, as hail on fire will fall from the sky. Okay? That would be a trial. Second trumpet, burning mountain will fall into the sea. One-third of all the sea will become blood. One-third of all the living creatures in the sea, and one-third of the ships will be destroyed. The third trumpet, a great star will fall from heaven, and a third of all the fresh water, the lakes and the rivers, will become bitter. The fourth trumpet, a third of all the stars in the sky will be darkened as they're wiped out. The fifth trumpet, locusts and scorpions from the bottomless pit, which is hell, will torment mankind with everyone who's taken the mark of the beast for five months. It says in Revelation that these men will desire to die because they will be in such incredible pain. As they're being stung over and over and over and they'll cry out for death, but death will escape them. The sixth trumpet, the fallen angels, demons will be released and they will destroy one third of all mankind. Revelation 9, 20, 21 says, But the rest of mankind who were not killed by the plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, that they should not worship demons and the idols of gold, silver and brass and stone and wood. Neither did they see nor hear nor walk, and they did not repent 
for their murders or sorceries, which is a word that also translates into drug abuse, or their sexual immorality or their thefts. So you know what? When the Lord's bringing judgment, He's bringing it to bring repentance. But people won't repent. Then lastly, the seven bold judgments would make the trumpet judgments look like a walk in the park. The first one is loathsome sores upon everybody on the planet who's taken the mark of the beast. Sores head to toe. Major pain. Second bowl, a sea of blood. Every ounce of seawater on the planet will turn to blood and every sea creature will die. The third bowl, all rivers and springs of water will become blood. No more fresh water anywhere on the planet. The fourth bowl, it says men will be scorched with great heat. It's going to get intensely hot. But guess what? There's no more water. So it's hot. You're covered in sores. And there's no more water. But men will still not repent, but instead will blaspheme God. The fifth bowl, darkness and intense pain. So now, uh, it's not only is it dark and there's pain, but now it's going to, it's going to be pitch black. And they will, it says they will gnaw at their tongues because of the pain. But they will continue to blaspheme God because of their pain and their sores. And they will not repent. Now think about this for a second. That's only the fifth bowl. Sores, intense heat, no water, excruciating pain, darkness, but yet not dying. What does that sound like? Sounds like hell. He's given them a preview of hell and an opportunity to repent, and yet they will still blaspheme God. Man, that's heavy. When I was reading this in my car, I was weeping because I was thinking, there's people I know that are probably going to... There's probably some people I know that are going to go through this. There's people that are in my family right now that I know that don't know God, and if they don't give their life to Jesus Christ, this is what their future holds. And that's heavy. And we should not say, well, you know, the bad people... No, it's the grace of God that we don't get this. Amen? Thank you, Jesus. Amen? Shouldn't we be thankful? The sixth bowl, that it will dry up the river Euphrates, an 1,800-mile river from Ararat to the Persian Gulf, which will open a pathway for the armies of the east to invade during Armageddon. The seventh bowl, the entire earth will be shaken, mountains will disappear, and 100-plus-pound hailstones will fall from the sky. Where do you hide from a 100-pound hailstone? Nowhere. And you know what will happen? They won't repent. They'll continue to blaspheme God. That's the tribulation. I'm going to stop right there just because of time. Worship team, why don't you come back up? But God will shorten those days for the, sec- for the sake of those who might give their lives to the Lord. And you know what? When we look at the tribulation, even though we realize that as the church we will not go through it, shouldn't it give us a sense of urgency for our friends who don't know God? Amen? You know, every person, every saved person this side of heaven should be consumed with every unsaved person this side of hell. Amen? Aren't you glad you're going to heaven? Aren't you glad that you've been born again, that has nothing to do with you and has everything to do with Him? Amen? Thank you, Jesus. To Him alone be all the glory, the honor, the praise, and the worship. But may we never, may we not dial it down when we realize this is coming. Amen? May we not be ashamed of the gospel and worried about what men say, but let's be faithful what God's commanded us and called us to do. You know, someone told me a long time ago, I have a gift of exhortation. I don't know if you can tell, but I want to encourage you guys. Man, I want to exhort you as I'm exhorting myself. Let us not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? Let, you know what? The homosexuals are coming out of the closet for homosexuality. It's time for the Christians to get out of the closet for Jesus Christ. Amen? It's time for us to stop being undercover. It's time for us to stop waiting for the pastor to tell the guy sitting next to us about the Lord. Let's, you know, God has put you where you are for a reason. It's a divine appointment. We're in Santa Cruz County. Amen? Does this place need a light or what? 
Amen? And you know what? God's brought us here for a reason. I'm excited about that. I, man, I, I wouldn't want to be anywhere else in the world but right here because this is where God has us. Amen? And you know what? It's easy to be a Christian in the Bible Belt. But we, I want to be a Christian in the tofu, tie-dye, new age, lesbian capital of the United States. Amen? <laughs> I want to be a Christian in a place where it's not popular to be saved. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you, Lord, and I just thank you, Lord, for your love and your grace and your infinite mercy. And Lord, that every person in this room, we all deserve to be separated from you for all eternity. But Father, because of your grace, not our good works, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Lord, my heart breaks to think that there might be even one person in this room that what we talked about tonight is their future. Lord, if there's anybody here tonight, I pray, Lord, you'd soften their heart and open their eyes. They would not do it based on emotions of men, but Lord, that by the power of your Holy Spirit, they would see their need for you as a Savior. That each person here would know that you're not a God of wrath, but you're a God of love and grace and infinite mercy. The wrath comes from those who just continually walk away from you. They bring it upon themselves. But Father, if there's anybody here tonight that doesn't know you, I pray, Lord, they would not walk out of here without you, Father. And real quickly, I didn't plan on doing this, but if you're here tonight, and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ. The Bible says in Romans 10, 9, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved to the glory of the Father. You don't have to you know, jump in the, in the shower before you take a bath. You don't have to clean yourself up before God will accept you. He loves you just the way you are. And I'm not going to belabor this, but if you're here tonight, and you just say, you know what, I want to know that I know that I know that I've been born again. I want to give my life to Jesus Christ. If you're here just, the Bible says, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. If you're here tonight and you desire to do that, just raise your hand. I'll pray a very simple prayer with you, and you can know when you walk out of here that you've been born again. Is there anybody here at all? Don't worry about what anybody else is doing. God bless you, bro. Is there anybody else? Is there anybody else? Is there anybody else? Well, why don't all of you pray with me as I pray with this brother who raised his hand. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you tonight and I confess that I'm a sinner. That I'm in need of a Savior. I believe that Jesus Christ is God. That He died on the cross for my sin. And that He rose from the dead. I believe by confessing my faith in Him that He has saved me that His Holy Spirit has come to live inside of me and that I'm going to heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise the Lord. You know, the Bible says when one person gives their life to Jesus Christ that all the angels in heaven rejoice. Amen? So there's a party in heaven. There ought to be a party here tonight too. Amen? Amen. Let's worship.